It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Vikings. I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. This show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, like Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya, or whatever you like. Or maybe you're a commuter. You don't want to be looking at your phone while you're trying to find your favorite podcast. You can ask your smart device, like Siri, Alexa, Google Home, play podcast Locked on Vikings. And today is going to be kind of an all-offensive line, all-the-time kind of day. We're going to talk a lot about the options in free agency for replacing uh, kind of that left side of the offensive line. That's where it needs the most shoring up. But first, a little bit of news to talk about. Chris Thomason of the Pioneer Press reported that as the Vikings have kind of been preparing for life after Anthony Harris, having kind of resigned to the fact that they won't be able to afford the contract he's going to demand out on the free market, they are considering bringing back Andrew Sendejo. This is far from set in stone. But if it's a true rumor, and these kinds of things from uh, Tomasin tend to be correct, then it does give you a window into the way the Vikings are going to approach this offseason. And on Sendejo's merits, if he does still have any gas left in the tank, and that is a huge if, then you get somebody who's familiar with the scheme, somebody who plays at a level that Zimmer's been comfortable with in the past, and you get him probably for like the veteran minimum. There are a lot of other options when it comes to the safety position, including but not limited to shelling out for Anthony Harris, but there is Carl Joseph, Von Bell, even like Trey Boston, if you want to get a little spendier, there are some options that don't require you to pay top dollar. And so the Vikings declining all of these and instead going with Andrew Sandejo, who will be about as cheap as he can get, or at least being interested in that option, gives you a window into the way that they are considering addressing the safety position and putting somebody next to Harrison Smith. And they could also be uh, intending to draft somebody to push Andrew Sandejo and give him some competition in training camp and hope that you can come up with a good enough starter that way, either by Anderson Deho not being too old to play, or if he is too old to play, then the rookie will prove that. This also matches with a quote from Mike Zimmer at the Combine, who was asked about the Anthony Harris situation and said something to the effect of, you know, we're not going to make sacrifices in order to simply get Anthony Harris back if Anthony Harris leaves. Of course, you know, we'll be disappointed about that. We want him back. But if we can't afford that because of other priorities, then so be it. Essentially telling us that they'll try, but there's other stuff that they're going to do first. And if there's no room left over, they're okay with that. And I think part of that is because they think that they can get a really efficient deal in Andrew Sandejo. And Sandejo might not be the best option out there, but he's potentially one of the more efficient options out there. And the money that you save by going cheap at the safety position could then be allocated to helping you get a better guard or a better defensive tackle or helping you to retain some of the cornerbacks that are going to leave and making sure that the rest of your secondary doesn't completely dissolve. 
Personally, I think safety is a more important position than most teams give them credit for. The safety market has been very depressed the last couple of years. Part of it was because of guys like Eric Reed and Kenny Vaccaro, who had the police brutality protests deflating their value, but even like Tyron Matthew and people that weren't victims of that particular problem were having a more difficult time than you would expect finding contracts, and that might still be true, which means that guys like Trey Boston and Anthony Harris might get smaller contracts than what we're actually projecting, but perhaps not small enough for the Vikings to be involved, and instead they'll choose to go with the cheapest one here, and I tend to disagree with that. I think safety is coverage and coverage is king. All that said, with the large swath of needs that the Vikings are dealing with and the limited amount of resources they have to deal with them, finding a way to get one solved on the cheap is something that hopefully will work out as a piece of a larger puzzle. But enough about the safety market. Let's talk about what we really came here to talk about, and that is the offensive line. So first, like, what are the needs on the offensive line, right? Like, so we're not going to replace Brian O'Neill. We might move him to the left and want to get a, a right tackle. I'll talk about that later, but we're not going to replace him. And as much as Garrett Bradbury struggled in his rookie year, for reasons I've detailed in the past, mainly that he had a large number of good games and, you know, too many very bad games, and that's what needs to be fixed, but that large number of good games gives me at least a little bit of hope that he has it in him to have a a higher standard of play. So, those are our two positions that are not going to be replaced. And of course, Josh Klein played well enough and he's under contract and everything. So I don't think any of that right right side is getting touched. You know, you just kind of hope Brian O'Neill impro- or Brian O'Neill stays the course. You hope that Garrett Bradbury improves. And then uh, you hope that Josh Klein doesn't take a step back at all. But it's that left side with Pat Elfline, who I don't think is an acceptable starter. And if you go into the 2020 season with him as the starter, then I think that is a failure. Uh, and Riley Reef, who is average, but capable of being improved upon. And the nice luxury of that is that there's no no hurry to improve upon him. There's kind of a a hurry to improve upon Pat Elfline, right? Because he just shouldn't be starting in another season. But with Riley Reeve, he could start another season and then somebody else takes over. And I think most people would be okay with that. So that gives us a, a number of options, right? You could get rid of Riley Reeve for cap space and move Brian O'Neill over to the left and then go get a right tackle. You could re- get rid of Riley Reeve for cap space and then just get a left tackle. You could move Riley Reeve inside to guard and then find a left tackle. You could move nothing and just go acquire a left guard and say, yay, we did our offensive line. You could acquire a cheap guard and somebody, you know, in free agency that doesn't break your bank. You could go for somebody big. You could get a guard in free agency to start right away and then draft a rookie tackle and see what side they end up going on and kind of deal with that in future years. But I think all of those options are just different means to the same end, which is reconstructing the left side of the offensive line. And I think that has to be the goal here. So who is available? Are they good? Are they worth it? And are they scheme fits? That's a really important thing. Of course, the Vikings run this zone run scheme, which means that guys who are bigger and slower and stronger don't really have their strengths highlighted by the Vikings scheme. You know, there are guys like Will Hernandez is obviously the the name that comes up all the time because the Vikings had the opportunity to draft him and and selected Mike Hughes instead. Uh, But he, who has plenty of mobility and actually would have been fine in a zone scheme, but is way better in a a man power scheme behind, uh, you know, blocking for Saquon Barkley. 
Barkley for the New York Giants, and what they're using him for is, you know, pulling across the formation, hitting somebody really hard, rather than doing a bucket step, getting in a spot, and then just kind of holding his ground. That would be a waste of some pretty big power that Will Hernandez has, and you don't want to shell out for power, you know, bidding against somebody that would use it. You don't want to shell out for that power and then not use it. So you're looking for some more zone scheme fit type guys, and hopefully some of these names, uh, you know, will make sense for that. So we are going to get into all of these names now for the rest of the show, and all that is coming right up. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Locked On Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash locked on NBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. Okay, so I kind of want to start with the tackle position because I said on yesterday's show where I said, like, you know, is this a free agency thing or a draft thing? And I said I would rather it be a draft thing. We'll talk about the draft uh, tackles a lot more over the coming weeks. So we'll just focus on the free agents today. And the real point of the free agents is that it's a kind of a thin group. You have Anthony Costanzo is one of the, like, big name uh, tackles that's currently officially uh, slated to hit the market, but it sounds like he and the Colts want to get a deal done, and I, I don't know if he's going to hit the market. He's 31, too, so if you're going to try to get like a Riley Reef replacement, you're going to want to get somebody a little bit younger. That guy is probably going to be Jack Conklin, who played for the Titans. He was a draft pick for them. He's been great for them. He's a right tackle, though. So if you bring him in, you have to either move him or move Brian O'Neill to the left, and obviously there's a cost there. He's coming off of his rookie contract, right? So he would be, you know, a a 25-year-old. You could sign him forever and and be really good with that. Uh, But you'd have to move somebody, and also, he's like the one young guy that everybody's going to be excited to go sign. So he's going to have a gajillion bidders, and the Vikings are totally going to get priced out of that bidding war. So I don't think Jack Conklin is even close to in the cards. Uh, then you got a couple of old guys like Andrew Whitworth and Jason Peters. You have DJ Humphreys, who's, who has been signed uh, back with the Arizona Cardinals. And then you start going through uh, some of the other, like, kind of second wave guys. I would love to bring in Brian Bulaga, but he brings the same kind of right tackle problem. And I think after Jack Conklin, he's like the next uh, biggest guy that's gonna, that people are gonna go after. I don't know, people might go over like Whitworth and Peters and stuff, but those guys are both 38. So that's a little more difficult than 31 year old Brian Bulaga. Uh, you have Big V, you have, then you kind of go to like guys like Demar Dotson and Cedric Aguayi, like he, Greg Robinson, maybe will get a deal or something, but he's in, you know, a little bit of trouble. Uh, Mike Rimmers is back on the market, everybody. No, um, but so you, you don't have a lot of options for the left tackle position. Any free agent tackle requires you 
to move either Brian O'Neill or move the new guy over to the left tackle position. And I don't think that's worth it because to get a guy that's actually worth starting, then you have to take on either like some 31-year-old that's going to have to be replaced in two seconds anyways, and you might as well hang on to Reef, or you're bringing on somebody that's kind of subpar and not like worth actually starting. So I don't love the tackle market at all. I would much rather go after this class of crazy athletic offensive tackles. You know, you can either hope hope one of the top five tackles falls to you. Those guys are all looking at least from a cursory glance, they look like they're going to be like day one ready starters and you can kind of, uh, you know, develop them even more under over a year if you don't feel great about that or whatever. Or you can bring in one of these like raw project guys and give them a year to learn behind Riley Reef and, and a year of getting used to NFL speed and stuff and kind of ease that transition. I think that's a much sounder plan than going, you know, ah, we're going to cut Riley Reef to save money and then, you know, pay $9 million to Jason Peters and not actually save anything and then have an even more urgent need. Like, that doesn't sound like the, the plan that works at, at left tackle. And I think that also kind of prices you out of, uh, you know, knocks you out of the idea of moving Riley Reef to guard unless you draft somebody that can be your tackle, then you move Riley Reef to guard. That I can totally see. But let's talk a little bit about the guards. The guard market is one that I'm much more interested in the Vikings actually going and exploring. A, because the interior offensive line class this year pales in comparison to the one last year. If you were with this podcast last year, you know that we had nine different players that we would have been excited about joining the Vikings and being a day one starter. And yes, Garrett Bradbury was one of them, so was Eric McCoy, uh, and so was Elton Jenkins, but... Those were guys that I I really loved in the draft, and this year I don't think there's even close to that. Uh, But the guards in free agency are actually a a pretty interesting group. But again, it's a thinner group at the top level. You have Brandon Scherf is maybe the best guy out there. He is somebody that I think uh, probably won't hit the market. Washington sounds like they're going to try to either franchise tag him or re-sign him or sign and trade or something like that. I don't think he'll be available. Even if he was, he'd probably be way out of the Vikings price range. That also applies to Joe Thune, who will probably be way out of the Vikings price range. Uh, He, at least according to Over the Cap, is going to garner like 13.5 million dollars a year, and I don't think that you should spend that on a guard even if you had the cap space. I think it'd be much easier to go with somebody who's average at guard for way cheaper. Uh, Joe Thune is good, though. Like, he he earned that level of contract, but I just don't want my team to be the ones to go there. Uh, and even if I did, it doesn't seem like it's going to be too much of an option to spend $13.5 million on the offensive line when you have all this secondary and all this safety stuff. You can't, you know, if you're going to spend $13.5 million on somebody, it's going to be Anthony Harris before it's Joe Thune. Like, let's be honest about that. Uh, there's also Graham Glasgow. He's on the top end. Over the cap has him having uh, making only $10.5 million a year. He's the guy I picked up in my blow it all up for cap space and bring somebody in uh, simulation. And he would be a great value, I think, at 10.5. I think that's still a little too rich for uh, the Vikings' blood. But there are a couple other people that could be interesting. There's Daryl Williams. He might get, I mean, he made $6 million for the Carolina Panthers. And I'm already being, like, pretty generous about who I am, uh, like, defining as top-end guards, but I think all these guys are probably outside the Vikings' price range, and I honestly, I still don't think that has a lot to do with their cap situation and more their just preference in terms of, you know, paying big-time free agents. I think they're far more likely to go for somebody like Steven Wisniewski, who uh, PFF has 
advocated that the Vikings should go after. A bunch of places have kind of done their, like, you know, one guy every team should go after in free agency, and Steven Wisniewski is always the guy paired with the Vikings. Here's the I would love this. He proved a ton in Kansas City. He had a great year in 2017. He had a down year in 2018 when he actually did pop onto the Vikings for two seconds and, uh, you know, had a cup of coffee here and then left. So there is an established relationship. He's a little older, right? He'll be 31 in the 2020 season. That is a bit of a concern, uh, but I think that, you know, at the guard position, you can last at least a little bit longer, and then the Vikings can kind of try another Pat Elfline, that is, you know, go get another, like, third, fourth round guard and, and try again with this. Uh, and I, I like Steven Wisniewski because he is a little bit more of a scheme fit, Having worked with, you know, some of those Eagles teams, it's very clear that Wisniewski has the skill set that we're looking for. He has the experience. He has a little bit of a relationship with the Vikings already. It makes a lot of sense why all of the media outlets are saying, well, you know, Wisniewski, like, totally makes sense for the Vikings. He's affordable and he fits their needs, and I would totally be in favor of it. There's another guy that I've mentioned in the past that I would also be in favor of and some other guys that are potentially worth considering, and I'll get to all of those guys in just a second. So the other guy that I wanted to talk about was Greg Van Roten. He is the left guard coming out of Carolina. They are currently cleaning a lot of house for similar reasons to the Vikings. Uh, but Greg Van Roten is somebody who has kind of slipped under the radar and probably shouldn't have. He spent a little time in the CFL. And to be honest, there are always going to be teams that like that's a deal breaker for them. Because like, well, if they couldn't make it in the NFL, where the, there must be a reason that nobody you know, would have signed them and then they had to go to Canada and everybody else is just taking a flyer and we're too good for that. And I feel like there is some of that like stubbornness in the NFL, but the Vikings have notoriously been the kind of team that doesn't fall victim to such fallacies. They always look to weird spots. They'll, they'll be all over the XFL. They'll, they're always all over. They already have a guy that they signed from the CFL. So Van Roten is also, I mean, he's also going to be, I think 31 in the, uh, over the course of the 2020 season, he's going, so he's a little older, right? He's not like a long-term solution and not as good as like drafting someone who hits and then you have him for 10 years or anything like that, but you should probably get a couple of good years out of him. Certainly buys you enough time to, you know, have reasonable play at the position until you can find a real successor. And for him, he's been like a really good, especially at pulling and especially at, you know, some of the more difficult blocks that Carolina asked him to make. Now, Carolina does not run his own scheme or they didn't. They might now with Matt Rule, but they they didn't. So Van Roten doesn't have a ton of tape on him in the scheme that the Vikings run. And that's super definitely a concern. But the things that he was good at in the manpower scheme are the kinds of things that kind of like lead you to believe that eh, maybe he can, you know, like pull out and, you know, be a screen blocker or go on, you know, pull out and be a lead blocker on outside zone. And that's the kind of thing that the Vikings would ask him to do. Those are difficult assignments and they're ones that Van Roten has shown the skill set to do. It's really weird too, because when he he had his combine and I think it was 2012, uh, he didn't do well at those agility drills at all. That's probably why the, the Vikings weren't interested in him at that time. Though, of course, you know, they had Adrian Peterson, so maybe they were looking for something different and maybe that doesn't mean anything, but I digress. The, the point is, he looks like he's good at the skills you need him to have, even if he wasn't back then. It's been a long time. He could have learned some new techniques and stuff. 
But because of the weird CFL bugaboo and because on that offensive line he was maybe like the third or fourth most uh, well-covered guy, he kind of has slipped under the radar. And even NFL teams that so meticulously go through every player and everything, even they might kind of miss out on some of what Greg Van Roten has to offer. Of course, you know, you had the Khalils on either side of him. You had Trey Turner, who just got traded for an actual left tackle. Uh, You had all kinds of drama like Mike Rimmers around him and stuff. So uh, there's a lot more going on on that Carolina offensive line, and that means Van Roten might be a little overlooked, and you might be able to get a deal. That's all uh, all of this is meant to to drive at, that because of the CFL thing, and because he's a little underrated, and because he's a guard in general, and because there's guys like Dooney and Scherf and Glasgow on the market, you might be able to get a deal on this guy, and that is what I'm really looking for in the guard market. And there's a couple of other guys that I, I wouldn't hate either, although I think Wisniewski and Van Roten are the two guys that I would like the most. There are some older options that might still kind of, you know, have enough in the tank to be that stopgap that you would need from a Wisniewski or a a Van Roten, Uh, but they're also a little bit older and maybe have a little bit more baggage. Somebody like Ron Leary, who was just cut from the Broncos to save cap, or maybe they declined an option, I can't remember. Uh, But, I mean, he would be uh, discounted. He was old. I asked, actually, Cameron Parker from Locked on Broncos about him, and he kind of uh, made me want to stray away. He said that Leary has probably lost a step and that age cliff has probably hit. So I wouldn't really support this. There's also Mike Iopati, somebody the Vikings had interest in several years ago, uh, and then he went to Arizona. He played at a big contract in Arizona, went to Seattle for a year, and now he's kind of also in that like old, maybe washed up space. But there was previous interest there, and uh, that was when they were trying to build a, a more power-esque run scheme. That's when they were you know, also looking at the, the Alex Boons of the world. So they might not be as interested in Iopati, but he's somebody in the market that you might want to think about. There's also Jason Peters, who's probably going to leave the Eagles. They drafted Andre Dillard. They seem pretty happy with him. They're going to let the old guy walk. Uh, He also might have that kind of old discounted thing to him. Uh, You could basically cut Riley Reef, bring in Jason Peters, and do the same idea where you draft an offensive tackle and try to, you know, have him, like, develop under, develop over the course of a year and then, uh, you know, have him start in 2021. You could totally do that with Jason Peters. You'd get a little bit of less, less of a cushion out of Peters than you would out of Reef, and they'd be uh, about the same price, but there's a chance that Peters is a better tackle, so I wouldn't hate that move if, if they went with that particular thing. I highly doubt they would do that just because they're so wary about, you know, cutting a guy and bringing in a new guy if it's not, like, 100% definitely an improvement, and especially because they would have to make the decision to cut Reef before they made the the actual signing of Jason Peters, and you'd hate to be in a situation where you cut Reef to save the cap space. You went after Jason Peters, he goes somewhere else, and now you're kind of SOL. Uh, there are a couple of other guys that might be like swing guys, not necessarily starter types, but more of, you know, swing backups, guys to potentially replace Rashad Hill, who could also play on that interior, maybe, uh, compete with like Drew Samia or, you know, try to get that swing backup role. The Vikings usually like to roster a couple of those. And if you could get somebody who would come in and under a pretense of like a Joe Berger, that kind of thing worked out a couple years ago. So you could get somebody who offers versatile depth. That's something that the Vikings like, even if that's all somebody offers, you know, they, they would love to have their next Jeremiah Searles. Or if they end up a little bit better and they become somebody who can play the position pretty well, but are still cheap because they don't have much of a pedigree, like that's obviously that's 
that's you know the best case scenario for them. And uh, but the floor is also pretty high. That's somebody like Joe Haig, who's also leaving uh, the Colts. He's more of a swing guy to me. He's he's got some position flexibility, but he's never played well enough to like be a bona fide starter. But I think he's played well enough to compete for that job. And so if you had somebody like Joe Haig complete compete with Pat Elfline, that would be a pretty underwhelming solution to me. But it's one that I think is plausible. Uh, there's another potential uh, cap casualty out there in Brian Winters. The Jets are dealing with some cap stuff, and they might uh, cut Brian Winters, who played right guard for them. So again, you'd have to deal with like moving him over, or moving Josh Klein, or having him compete with Josh Klein, and then moving Drew Samia or something. You have a lot of right guards and a lot of left guards. It's weirdly like hard to find left side guys, uh, but you could have him. Now he, the interesting thing about him is that he actually played with Rick Dennison for a year back in 2017. So there's some familiarity there, and that might be somebody that if they cut, you could bring in. The other thing to uh, think about with all this stuff is compensatory picks. Now there might be some changes to the compensatory pick formula, so some of these smaller guys. Uh, you know, if you do sign a, a small Mike Iopati contract, or something like a, a veteran minimum Andrew Sandejo contract it has to be big enough to like qualify for the compensatory pick formula. And it looks likely with the new CBA that that is going to increase. So somebody like Sandejo probably won't count toward it, which is, uh, which would be pretty nice. Or if he goes somewhere else, that would be unfortunate. But if you sign somebody like Thuni or Glasgow, you are giving up a potential uh, compensatory pick that you would get for like Trey Waynes. So if you want to let Trey Waynes walk and get, you know, the, the fifth-ish round pick that you would get for that, you would give it up if you went and signed a guard. So you're not only paying the $10.5 million for Graham Glasgow, you're paying $10.5 million and you're trading away a fifth round pick next year. And that becomes, you know, a different calculus. You might still do it, but it's a different calculation. But if you go a little more bargain bin with like Wisniewski or Greg Van Roten or even like uh, you know, Iopati or Haig or Winters and have them compete or something like that, then you aren't fiddling with your compensatory pick formula. And that isn't a deal breaker or a deal maker. Like that doesn't like change everything about the way that you're going to consider this. But I do think it does affect things and it moves some sliders around. It's something to keep in mind, even though it's not a top priority. Uh, but, you know, going after the big time, the big fish offensive lineman is never something the Vikings have done. And I would be super shocked if it was something that they did again this year. There are a couple of people I asked for some hot takes on Twitter today. I'll probably do a, a show about them soon. But uh, the, the, there were a couple of people who said, you know, they finally have to take off offensive line seriously. And I would argue that they've taken offensive line pretty seriously. In the last three years, they've signed two higher profile or three higher profile free agents, uh, Reef Remmers and uh, Josh Klein, I think all were at least guys that were signed on a high profile enough deal to be like starters anointed, not guys like Tom Compton that come in to compete and be a backup. And then he ends up starting due to injury. But guys like, you know, that, that come in to be the starter, there have been three of those and there have been three draft picks in the first two days of the draft. That's a pretty big commitment. And now you have, uh, you know, three of those players are starting in Bradbury, Reef, and Pat Elfline, though the last one might not last for too much longer. And then you have the two free agents in Reef and Klein. So you've, you've acquired an entirely new offensive line in the last three years, and you've spent quite a bit to do so. And now it's just a matter of cleaning up the spots where you missed. That's a much e easier task than the one that they were dealing with in like 2016 when they had to stop everything from scratch uh, and, you know, rebuild the whole thing. But that now is is they're still in kind of like that 
final phase of the offensive line rebuild, where if you can get a good player or two in the building, you can go from having offensive line be a problem all the time to it's starting to become a strength. And I think if they do play this offseason correctly, they can do so. And I don't think that they have to commit a crap load of resources to do that. If you go bring in Steven Wisniewski on a budget and go draft somebody in the second round, like that's a decent commitment, but it's not a huge one. And that could really create like a good future offensive line. If that second round, you know, project kind of guy works out the same way Brian O'Neill worked out, then hooray, you have good tackles and then the interior can kind of shuffle around as much as you want. You can make that work. That is like, I guess the best case scenario. And I think if you play this off season reasonably well, you have a good chance at achieving that scenario. And the options out there on the interior make me a lot more excited than the ones on the exterior. And luckily we have a draft that kind of works in the opposite way. So the Vikings have set themselves up to, you know, be very active in a market that's a little easier to navigate because it's very clearly pointing you one direction or the other in terms of where to go find these guys. So that is going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Vikings. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can find this show anywhere you find your favorite podcast. You can ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow. And as always, Skull. Hey, Locked on Minnesota listeners. This is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked On Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Locked On Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Locked On Wild to your device every day.